0: to when we speak where we shed stigmas, say goodbye to shame, strengthen ourselves and encourage others. I am your host, Tasha Hunter. This is a podcast where I am blending the intersections of race, gender, sexuality, faith, and trauma. If there is a topic that most people say we're not supposed to talk about, I'm talking about it because that is how we heal. We don't heal in silence. We heal by speaking out. Today, I have on the podcast, uh, Chris Burris, and he's a licensed marriage and family therapist. And I met Chris during my time in Black Therapist Rock IFS training. And so, uh, Chris, if you would introduce yourself.
1: Great. Well, thanks, uh, Tasha. You know, one of my greatest gifts of being in private practice and being a trainer is I get, I get to hang out with some of my favorite people. So, you know, you're one of my favorite people to hang out with, so... Um, so i 'm really happy to be with you and i 'm always really grateful working together um, being a program assistant to training, and then you know different ways that we 've worked together so i 'm really grateful for our relationship over the over the last couple of years so yeah i 'm a senior lead trainer I teach internal family systems i 've been in private practice for thirty some years now i 'm primarily doing training and consultation the last five years i 've been teaching quite a lot a lot for a bit for like therapist rock and developing folks of color moving into that trainers those trainer train training roles so it's been a really important uh, evolution for the institute that um I've been really happy to support so so
0: yeah I'm happy to be with you and uh, hang out a little bit thank you so i, I want to tell listeners Chris has called me the the bull the bullshit detector in training and I wear that badge with honor. Okay, so Chris, can you explain when when you when you said that like I'm like a bullshit detector? Can you explain for listeners like what you mean by that? Well, having having
1: people that will tell you the truth that have the courage that you do, Tasha, to be honest, you know. And in trainings, there's kind of a hierarchy. I mean, I'm a senior lead. You know, you're a program assistant. You know, and You don't always, with hierarchy, you don't always have people that will tell you the truth, you know, and so it's really, really valuable to have someone that will tell you the truth. I still have blind spots as a white gender cis male. There's a lot of blind spots I have, especially around culture, um, around, you know, any bigotry, you know, white supremacy, uh, privilege, those types of things. So having this type of relationship with someone that, you know, can can gently and you know, and honestly tell you, like, here's a blind spot, you know, that you can look at, you need to look at. So I've always felt you have the courage, you know, and I think some of our, our relationship, too, that that there's not repercussions should sure, you to be honest with me. But having people that will be honest with you and reflect back, here's a blind spot, place you can grow. Those people are very valuable to have. And, uh, and you're, you've been one of those people over the years. I greatly appreciate that and value it.
0: I, I also value you and uh, the ability to be in spaces together and know that I can, you've heard me say this over and over, just like the shock and awe of being able to, to bring my full self. And that, that is rare. And it's especially rare for Black women, Black folk to be able to just be. That's why I love the parts of me that absolutely get fed from pa That's why, because it's, I can be in an authentic space
1: it's really important that we create that space where you can show up in that way. And you don't have to go switch You don't have to change who you are. Uh, You get to be authentically yourself.
0: All of that. And I was telling you, um, before we recorded, uh, you, you have a new book out called creating healing circles using the internal family systems model and facilitating groups. And I opened this book and it was like from the first page I was like, oh, this, is, this isn't your typical like groups manual or, you know, I could tell that you wrote it with your full heart. Like, this is what I've experienced and this is what I know. For people that have difficulty being in groups, it had never, I'd never had this thought that potentially the first harm or the first group could be the family unit. Yeah, and so our parts began to protect us from being around people or from being involved in, you know, in close community, because that was the first wounding. But any thoughts on that? Yeah, lots of thoughts about
1: it. You know, sometimes the family unit is actually a safe space and the rest of the world's unsafe, you know, and, and sometimes this kind of the, the family, the group, family group is unsafe. You know, and but you know, wounding trauma happens in relationship. You know, so when trauma occurs, it causes causes to isolate and withdraw and pull away, and then you layer on top of it an individualistic culture of the U.S. that we live in that highly, you know, uh, you know, highly uh, supports the individual, and so there's multi layers to so that. People coming unsafe. And um, maybe may just the family unit is safe, you know, but the rest of the world is unsafe. You go to school, there's bullying, there's racism, you know, there's, there's very few teachers of color, you know, so, so that, that possibility of people becoming unsafe um, is, you know, kind of highly, you know, plausible, you know, on top of the individual culture that we live in that stresses the, the staunch individualism.
0: That is so true. So, so on, you you know, if we're looking at a spectrum, you you may have on one end where the family unit's safe, but the rest of the world is unsafe for all the reasons it's named and more. And then maybe on a different end, the family unit is unsafe and yet other people, other people might be safe Mm -hmm. or because the family unit is unsafe, everybody's unsafe. Yeah no matter what group issues we're talking about, I feel like the book that you have written and published answers all of those questions, all of those dilemmas.
1: You know, what I track a little bit is, so my individual therapy, my, the first individual therapy is really beneficial because it, the first part of individual therapy is who am I in my relationship to myself? If, so if, if there are parts of me that are unsafe to myself, like that, then, then the whole world's unsafe, not only is other people unsafe, but I'm kind of unsafe to myself, you know, so individual therapy kind of helps you with that, that how, you know, so if you have a really strong critic, that's, uh, that treats you partially, you know, then you're kind of unsafe to yourself, you know, or firefighter parts of us that, that maybe do things that are that are harmful or have moral, you know, impacts on us. So individual therapist helps helps us come into relationship to be safe with ourselves, but then the group therapy, like we can't stop there, you know we gotta like we got we gotta live in community, and if we're going to have you know social change, we gotta work in community you know so individual therapy can take us to a certain point, you know and then how do and what I found is then how do people go further? you know how do the people develop those relationships and just because I'm safe of myself doesn't mean that other people have become any more safe. Um, you know, so in, a, in some a visceral sense, it's not, I can't say, hey, you know, these, these people are safe, but on a visceral body level, do I feel that?
0: One of, the, one of the most beautiful sentences at the very beginning of your book on page four, you write, this book is an effort to improve the human condition by increasing our connectivity to each other and discovering the power within to increase connectivity to ourselves and the natural, the natural world. And so as I hear you speak about, and you talk about this in the book too, individual therapy and group therapy, both combined really addresses so much wounding, um, legacy burdens, so many of us that have been disconnected, taken away uh, from, from our culture, from our roots, from our families. That group therapy, group involvement, community involvement is is one of the answers to, to to this is how we heal. That that ending was just so so beautiful. So thank you for that. How does it feel to have me just kind of just giving you all these compliments on this book too? Does that how does that <laughs> set, set with your parts? Well,
1: I think it this Well, I, uh, you know, I I'm a person that has pretty severe dyslexia, so writing, you know. My my wife says writing is kind of like shooting silly street, you know, it's like going all over the place, you know. So it it takes a while for me to consolidate and get stuff transcribed from my my verbal content to my written words. So it's it's um it feels good to sort of accomplish something that's that's not ever been very easy for me to do.
0: It's absolutely it's I I love this book and it's one that I feel like social work cohorts or, or like, you know, any kind of mental health programs, this is a book that they need to incorporate. Um, Everybody does. Um, It's just that valuable. But you speak about, you know, all of the different groups that you've led and, and, you know, some that you've been a part of, and and you're still doing group work uh, to, you know, a lot of group work, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, within the IFS community. How did you learn this, this dance of like how to handle conflict or like the storming stages in, in groups?
1: Well I, th- I think it started with so I, I had quite a bit of uh public speaking anxiety. I actually gave a um public public lecture. I was the director of counseling at the School of the Arts and and I uh spoke to the drama department which are you know it's kind of like you know highly acclaimed you know actors uh and I left that going I never want to public speak again. You know, and then probably a month or two later, I was asked to be considered for elite training for a training role, which means a lot of public speaking. So the first thing I had to ask myself is why, why am I anxious? Why am I scared of public speaking? And I had learned this uh, phrase around people are incomplete the sentence. And to me, people are dangerous, rejecting, judgmental, you know, uh, unpredictable that was the stem that was what was creating my anxiety was actually my own internalized belief that people are dangerous you know so in ifs so that became a target for me to be a lead trainer was you can't sort of serve people and teach them if they're dangerous you know you do, your performance is very low if you're not if you don't feel safe internally um you know and if you don't feel safe with other people so how can i be with people if people are dangerous and unsafe and unpredictable? So I had to work with my own parts that had experiences that had created that, that um internalized experience. So um so as I worked with my parts, you know, and I was in spaces and IFS trainings that tend to be intimate spaces, people tend to be quite authentic, you know, they speak for their parts, they don't act out their emotions quite as much as in other places you know, so in those structured environments, people got to be safer and they sort of got to feel like really the family that I sort of longed for. And they got to be playmates. Like one of the things you you and I get to do together is we get to play together, you know, which is is such a reparative process. So being an only kid, you know, having playmates was like a dream come true, you know, to have lots of people to play with. Um, So now, you know, people are resources or playmates or friends. They're people I celebrate with. You know, there's lots of humor together that we share. So that restored a lot of the longing for community that didn't, I kind of missed out on growing up.
0: That dropping down into your own system to to heal that part of you, which allowed present day Chris to be able to, to play and and to enjoy people and to see the healing and being around people. That's also been my journey. I remember being so terrified of speaking in front of people because I thought I'm not smart enough.
1: Mm.
0: I sound like an idiot. Mm. Uh, They're not going to want to listen to me they're going to think, Oh, who is, who is this, you know, standing up here telling us, you know, something. Yeah. And, and, and I just, there was all of this, these thoughts that I had as to why I couldn't get up in front of people and just say what I needed to say yes. yeah. and speak regarding, you know, it's like I did, I knew the information mm-hmm. I'm teaching or, or or speaking about things that I know, but I, there was just so much fear of what others, how they would perceive me. That question for me is like, like, who is dangerous?
1: Like, like there are unsafe people, you know, and there are people that are, that have strong observer critics, but majority people aren't that way, (laughs) you know, um, you know, so that, that generalization then makes it, you know, like looming all the time that like who, who specifically, we don't, we don't have to talk to that person, you know, we can, you know, but the rest of the people sort of aren't that way. They're. You know they're curious and supportive and even celebratory you know of, of you and and you know and what you're
0: doing. and you just said you know like who is unsafe, and that's the importance of and I've heard you speak about this before, getting to specifics mm-hmm. because speaking in general it seems like it kind of feeds the beast
1: yeah yeah, because that person that unsafe person in general could never be answered. it's looming out there so. Like I had a conversation with my daughter and she had social anxiety. I said, so who at school is mean to you? You know, which kids are mean to you? She said, there's not any really mean kids at school. You know, I'm like, that's great. Like that was not my experience, you know, growing up. So I'm happy about that. You know, okay, so what's the anxiety? Well, I'm afraid of being embarrassed. So it's not people you're afraid of. It's that feeling that you're afraid of. You know, that feeling of embarrassment feels so bad. You don't want to feel bad. You know, so, yeah, so let's work on like supporting you around that feeling. So it's not so bad, you know, but people are, it's not that people are, it's that feeling that I get that
0: I'm afraid of. How do you take care of your vulnerable parts in, in the training before and after?
1: Well, for a long time, I, I kept a diary, I kept a journal, which, which parts for me were active during the training, like which ones were overworking. You know, and did I have certain parts I want to be liked that was overworking? Did I have a, a teaching part or figuring out part or hypervigilant part that was tracking everybody where they liked me or not? So I sort of kept a journal around what parts were going to work with me, you know, and 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 we have a term called efforting, you know, who was who was putting out a lot of effort and how do I help them not put out so much effort? So tracking that over time. Um, a lot of times I teach, too, like we we all have vulnerabilities like visually or auditorily or kinesthetically. So how so, and those tend to be the spaces that the negative energy kind of gets into our system, you know. So how do I really kind of have really good emotional boundaries where I don't take things personal, you know, and what people are saying is about more about themselves than me. You know, and then if there's feedback, I want to look at that, but how do I look at that? Not so, so, so much of a critical way, but a learning way. So lots of different layers of, of taking care of myself over time, watching how I overwork, over, you know, overanalyze, you know, uh, overinterpret, take things personal, you know, so it's a, a many different ways of, you know, kind of gliding where you can, you know, being on point uh, being attentive and present, so uh, anything that you do a lot, you you kind of build stamina to, and you find ways of, you know, of, of um, doing it without so much so much, so being so draining. Um,
0: the deeply emotional person I am, given I mean, just listening to you even now, it's kind of get, there's there's some trailheads popping up there. Being in the space and not taking things so personal, yeah. If there is wounding, if there is criticism, if there is a quote-unquote attack of some kind, I don't have to attach myself to everything. I don't have to own the criticism. I don't have to. I can recognize it as these these are other people's parts speaking, and it's not always so personal.
1: Yeah, I like you know the the book for the four agreements. That first agreement: don't don't think things personal. That's mm-hmm. a hard one. Mm-hmm. Like and spe- especially when it like the wording comes at you and the wording is about you, but there's so many layers to kind of what people are experiencing. Like Mm -hmm. it might be about you, but it may not be, it may not be in the way that you take it. So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, so that's a, that kind of emotional boundary is one that really takes a lot of practice and a lot of work with our parts that, you know, that are susceptible to that. Of what We all want to be, good and accomplished and you know relevant and um smart and all those things you know so there's parts that take that easily take it personal that we have to really support and care for
0: were there times when you believe that having a learning disorder stopped you or prevented you from certain things in life if that was a, a belief of yours at any time
1: you know, I wasn't really on the college track. I was kind of on the vocational track, you know, and my dad was a bricklayer, you know, so the idea of, you know, and those are honorable professions, but for me, it was, it was terrible, uh, experiences, not terrible, but, you know, it was really hard work, you know, sitting and talking to people all day, like this is a cakewalk, you know, it's like, you know, so, um, so I, I was sort of not really on the, on the college track, um, you know, and I, I did have a teacher that said, you know, Chris, if you can do everything verbally, you're the smartest kid in the class. And I think, I think that teacher, which turned out to be my, was my aunt, really kind of saved me. You know, it's like, okay, I'm smart as everyone else. It's just the writing piece, in the reading piece, that's hard for me. And we didn't, just, we didn't have this diagnosis of learning disability that way. But that, that sort of one teacher that said, you know, you're the smartest kid in the class if you just do everything verbally you know that that really stuck with me and so I, I kind of internalized that you know and um, and I could sort of talk my way through it you know and oral presentations were always I sort of sell that you know so I did have some support to kind of help me believe in that you know but my SAT and GRE scores were were visible you know so yeah so there's different hurdles it's been 10 hours you know, in the library, writing a three page paper, which takes most people, you know, an hour and a half, you know, or two hours, you know, it's, those are, um, those are different hurdles that you, you, but it, I mean, it teaches you fortitude and to, to stick with it, you know, and, and 25% of people are, have dyslexia, you know, the public schools do, do not do very, very much of providing support for them. You know, and so we look at things like the criminal justice system, the amount, the, the amount of people in the criminal justice system that have some type of learning disability that then snowballed into challenges in school, that then snowballed into other types of things. So the service for learning disabilities is really, really poor in our public education. So that's yeah, a huge kind of waste of resources and waste of human life and potential for folks.
0: Geez, I don't want to really get into this too deeply, but it, it also makes me think about when I was a school therapist and the number of kids that were labeled as oppositionally defiant, that diagnosis paired with truancy issues and different things kind of led to like a school to prison pipeline. Yeah, that's right. And and there wasn't really serious, like in-depth, you know, just kind of looking into What else could be going on? And as a part of that, do they have some learning challenges that haven't been addressed?
1: Yeah. And I I found the school system to be highly oriented towards reading and writing. I mean, Mm -hmm. we do have alternative educational paths now,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but not everyone has access to those. So it's Mm -hmm. heavily engaged in reading, writing, you know, and in production of in, in those types of areas. So these other things like the verbal expressions, the kinesthetic expressions, the building things, you know, the schools, they don't tend to be uh, a place where, you know, or there's an equal playing field where people can express in the way that they they naturally express, you know? So you have that kid that's kinesthetic that can can build things, put things together, but it's a little fuzzy going from verbal to to the, from verbally to the page which is kind of what dyslexia is. It's, it's fuzzy when you convert the verbal to the, to the, to the, the kinesthetic. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a huge setup for, and that use of that pipeline, you know, that a lot of uh, kids of color don't get served at all for any type of learning disability.
0: As someone who's been in the community for 20 plus years, what is it that you wish that people understood.
1: I think because IFS is kind of an internal family systems,
0: mm-hmm. I
1: think that it I think it's gotten sort of the motif of being an individual model. Mm-hmm. You know, and something Dick and I, Dick Schwartz, the originating model, we've been talking about is it's really a relational model, you know, and so the so I want people to take away what we do the internal work so that our relationships are better. And so that our our community is better and that we can engage, you know, and with other people and in more connective ways. So it's not meant to be, you know, deal with your parts, be more individualistic, you know, and just be okay by yourself. Like that's not the 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 message is is meant. Like we do have to work with our own system, but it's so that we can return back to relationships in a more connective way. And one of the things I think that we don't have a really good grasp of is what, what does it mean to be differentiated, you know, for you and I to be two separate human beings that also can be connected, connected. So it helps helps me be with myself and not take other people so personally. And I can stay in relationship with people even if they're mad at me or even if I do create a microaggression and 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 we have to repair it, you know, so in my family, when you had a conflict, you just cut each other off, you know, and then and that has created all kinds of problems, how do we have conflict and repair, you know, and, um, you know, and, and be in relationship to one another, so it really supports stronger relationships, you know, so and like Therapist Rock, we talked a lot about you know, social change and social movement. You know that we have to have a critical mass of people being together. You know to actually create social change. So if we're all individuals, we can't create that shared. You know that sort of shared uh, influence. So um, and that's kind of the the purpose of the book is a little bit is you know that individual therapy is fantastic, but it, it's not sort of answering that question. People are in in a way that 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 in the, the group therapy can really give you a visceral felt sense that these people are here to help me heal. We're here to help each other heal. We're here to help each other learn to overcome cutoffs that have occurred.
0: You know, In your book, you say, um, and I'm just going to read directly from it, you said, it is impossible to have an in-depth connective, to have in-depth connective relationships where some form of activation does not occur, occur. Thus, it is important to be able to identify and heal what becomes activated. And then you go on to say IFS groups offer an opportunity for individuals in the group to see their parts as universally natural and part of being human. And when I read that, I said that, that being human, like that, that, that we can have differences, we can have conflict, like you just said. This is all a part of the joy, the pain. It goes together. All of the emotions, all of the experiences go together. That is part of the human experience. And when we're in groups, we just kind of learn that like we can get through this really hard shit that happens, whatever it is. We don't have to go and and we don't have to alienate ourselves. We don't have to say goodbye to to to, to what's, you know to the togetherness because a wounding has happened. This is part of being human. And, and then, you know, you mentioned in terms of IFS being a relational model, that is what I'm learning over and over and over. I can be, let's say if something happens with you and I, I can be kind of maybe pissed off at you, wish nothing has happened, thankfully, all right? I'm also able to see your parts and then the compassion comes. I can be compassionate towards you because I know that just like I've got parts, you've got parts and we're all trying to take care of each other the best we can.
1: Well, I think because we all have protective ways of protecting ourselves, sometimes that wounding comes out of ways that we're trying to protect ourselves. You know, that we get sideways, maybe we get sideways because something happened that felt threatening, Mm -hmm. you know, and I have a, I have a habit of acting a certain way when I feel threatened that just rubs you the wrong way, you know, and you know, but it, those are moments. Those aren't those not that's not the totality of you or me, or even the totality of our relationship, you know, and you know, we could, you and I have been in these in these moments where we both just want to pack our bags and go home. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and and, yeah. and, and we, but we couldn't, we had a purpose. You know, yeah. we had a shared goal we had a outcome that we were working together on you know so we're kind of in this together mm-hmm. you know and it's it's a momentary emotion it's a feeling that occurs that you know we kind of know like okay this emotionally this moment sucks right now but we got a higher purpose and this isn't the totality of our experience together you know mm-hmm. so in, in group work you have in the storming phase you you have these moments where you know, it's hard, you know, but if we work through those together, we, our relationship gets stronger. And we learn that relationships, you know, you have those moments that are just hard, but there are moments that are hard. Yeah. They're not the totality of the relationships are emotional moments, you know, and, um, and how do we kind of like get through those, you know, and come back to more of our, our sense of self, our compassion, our connection, and
0: connection, um, that's it, wholeness. Thank you. So I want to go back to BTR. So I was in the second cohort of Black Therapist Rock IFS training. I observed how you, your energy, like how you show up in Black and BIPOC spaces, how you hold your own vocally, how there are moments when you kind of step to the background, maybe, maybe um, allowing the other leadership, you know, people, uh Team members to, to speak, black women that 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 you're you're in there with and and you're teaching them and allowing them, you know, the space to do what they need to do and grow. But I noticed how how you kind of show up in the spaces um, and in your own way, often creating safety for all involved when you when you're in that instant, like the minority, is how did you learn to show up in these spaces? And are there any parts of you that, that, that show up and kind of, you know, how do you deal with, with, with your, your vulnerable parts when you're in black and brown majority spaces?
1: By writing a book around listening to the field, in trainings a lot, you sort of listen to the environment, you listen to what conversations occurring and who's having the conversation. Um, I learned early on around how much white people tend to center themselves in these spaces. And so that's also part of altering the field. You know, so knowing when I'm actually contributing to the container, to the field, and actually when I'm, I'm taking away from it. So listening to the, the environment, to the, the emotional environment, the tone, the conversation it's having, and in um, finding spaces where my contribution actually makes things better you know, versus detracting away, you know, and and so one of the things that self-energy tends to do is it helps us be much more tuned, you know. So if my part that wants to belong or wants to be important or wants to be valuable or wants to be seen as, you know, the good white guy, you know, if those parts take over, I'm gonna disrupt the field. You know, so listening, you know, there's a great saying in IFS room. Right? you know, wait, why am I talking? You know, so that's a, that's a really great acronym, you know, the, the wait, you know, why am I talking? And is it actually contributing or is it detracting? And there are times I have detracted away from the field or I have centered the the space, you know, in a, um, a not so helpful way, you know, and then I go back and work with the parts of me that, that did that. So um, I think learning to, being a group therapist, there's listening to individuals and there's listening to the group, you know, and that's one things that we, I think probably graduate training, you've got lots of training in listening to individuals, but how do we listen to a group of people that, and what conversations occurring in the group, you know, and is it a livening, you know, connective conversation or is it uh, a conflictual detracting, you know, sort of downward spiral? being in groups a lot, I learned to listen more to the field as well as the individual. You know?
0: And that was, a, that
1: was a hard chapter to write, by the way. It was, mm. it was a lot a lot of time that was that trying to write about the field, which is, you know, it's like writing about water, you know, it's just it's it's something that's hard to kind of hold on to.
0: It is, it is. Um, but yet the way you articulated it, the listening to the field, um, and and what I heard. Is, is, is really paying attention to the energy in the room, checking your own system. The why am I talking? Am I talking because I'm feeling left out? Am I talking because I want them to know who I am? Am I talking because there's some information that, that I have that needs to be shared? Am I trying to be helpful? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and so um, just, but just getting clear on, on your own energy and the why behind it.
1: Sometimes that weight is also wait and don't say anything stupid. You know so that part. <laughs> that part I've added that part, Tasha, for you. Like, yes. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, so, Chris, here's the fun stuff. So, mm-hmm. when you're listening to to music and and you just kind of want something that's going to pump you up a little bit, what kind of music are you listening to when you want something that has like maybe a faster beat or something?
1: You know, I I'm I'm kind of old school. I listen to a lot of old school rock. You know. I was still a lot of rock and roll, um, oh. the Pumas. Yeah, but I, I'm still old school rock oh. and roll. The Boston, Journey, Foreigner, you know. Um,
0: Who or what makes you laugh?
1: You know, my probably my daughters. Um, I, I laugh a lot with my daughter, especially my youngest daughter. She is the funniest person I've ever met, you know. so And, um, you know, I play a lot of sports. You know, I try to laugh a lot. Mm-hmm. when I play sports, you know, and try not to be so serious. So, um, yeah, hanging out with my daughters and playing sports. And, uh, and my wife and I laugh a lot together. We ha- we have a, uh, a lot of humor in our relationship.
0: For folks that are wanting to get a copy of your book, Creating Healing Circles, um, or wanting to reach out to you, uh, can you share more about your book, your website and just where people can find you on social media?
1: Yeah, I'm on, um, my website's burriscounseling.com and there's a list of my podcasts on there. And the book is on Amazon. Um, it's only listed on Amazon. Uh, right now it's, uh, only in paperback version. Um, Amazon takes all of your money when you put it in Kindle, <laughs> as you probably know. Um, so right now it's only in paperback. Um, the artwork on the front page is my artwork, so um, the paperback also, I get to sort of display my artwork. You don't get to display your artwork on Kindle. I've retired from individual practice, but I'm doing uh, group trainings and um, teaching IFS Level 1, and I I teach a couple of my own. I teach Critic Camp, which I think you've been with me a couple of times with, and um, I teach emotional regulation, which is on being able to, to know and feel and and uh, being relationship to your emotions, uh, which I think is really, really important uh, for everyone, especially um, guys. We don't tend to get a lot of education about our feelings. Um, so um, so I host those um, so often. So they're all on my website and I'm also listed with the Institute when the trainings are you know, coming up.
0: I appreciate you for taking out time from, from your busy schedule to just Allow me to ask all the questions. I've just enjoyed this so much. Thank you so much, Chris. Thanks, Sasha. You know, I,
1: I'll always show up when you ask me to. So, um, you know, just, <laughs> anytime, Tasha.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to When We Speak. Follow me on Instagram at TashaHunterLCSW. If you haven't done so yet, please rate, review, and follow me on iTunes and share it on your social media. If you want a copy of my book, What Children Remember, it is available on Amazon. Until next time.